Hello, welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano, and back again is my Captain Marvel co-host, my partner in this unofficial Jim Starlin podcast. Exactly. Hi. Brian Zeno. How are you doing? Uh, good, Brian. How are you? I am excellent. I am uh, raring to go on some early 70s psychedelic Captain Marvel goodness here. Oh, yes. And psychedelic it is. Oh, yes. We, we, a little we, less than oh. last time, but right. still. Because I think that's the that's the climax of the psychedelicness of the series. I think you think well until Although, at least until you get into Warlock and the well, I mean, uh, this, Church of uh, this Captain Marvel till thirty three. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, yes, 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 yes. Although it's been a while, I read them all, but it's been so long that I really don't remember thirty one to thirty three. So watch thirty one and be like, oh, never mind, I was wrong. I remember distinctly, it's actually funny, because uh, leaping right to the end of the issue we're about to podcast, the end, we're done, no, uh, leaping oh. right to the end of it, uh, the cliffhanger where Drax rings the doorbell at Avengers Mansion, I remember reading the splash page of issue 31, which is kind of the the continuation of that cliffhanger, and possibly another page or two past that. And that was it. That is the last Captain Marvel that I have read. And the then latest. I blacked out. Not blacked out. I just, I got distracted. I had Woke to get up on the ship. train, whatever. I had to do something. And I never got back to it. So. Well, we'll have to soon enough. But actually, that's a good point to pause and drop in the synopsis for people who have not read this so they can follow along with us. Yes, the pause that informs. Here we go. Captain Marvel 30. To be free from control. Written, penciled, and colored by Jim Starlin. Inked by Al Milgram. Lettered by Tom Orszewski. Edited by Roy Thomas. With a cover by Jim Starlin. Cover date, January 1974. Original sale date of October 16th, 1973. And the original cover price was 20 cents. Marvell tells Iron Man about what happened to him with Eon, while the two of them work on a control tracker which they are hoping will lead them to Rick Jones' kidnapped girlfriend, Luann. Captain Marvel insists on searching out the controller and Luann himself, and Iron Man decides to check out the base where he first thought Thanos to look for clues. Go listen to our last episode for the details on that. Rick is anxious to get started, but Marvel insists on waiting until morning, when his photonic powers will be at their highest. Meanwhile, the controller is having a rally with his subjects, but is reprimanded by Thanos for bringing his secret army all together and risking exposure. The next day, Captain Marvel is able to find the controller's base using the tracker. The controller sends a few of his victims to take down Marvel, but they fail. Marvel tries to talk to the controller, explaining that this will not bring him true peace, but the controller won't listen and he attacks. They fight, and Captain Marvel is able to get away from the controller and find Luan. However, the controller catches up and temporarily overpowers him. Using its cosmic awareness, Marvel is able to know where to hit the controller and gains the upper hand. Knowing that his lackey was going to fail, Thanos takes the controller out. Killed or teleported away, it's uncertain. In the end, Rick is reunited with Luan while Drax the Destroyer shows up at Avengers Mansion looking for Marvel. In his base on Titan, Thanos decides the time for games is over, and it is time to use the Cosmic Cube and make his wish. This issue was reprinted in The Life of Captain Marvel number 3, 
The Life of Captain Marvel Trade Paperback, The Life and Death of Captain Marvel Trade Paperback, Marvel Masterworks Captain Marvel Volume 3 Hardcover, Essential Captain Marvel Volume 2, Avengers vs. Thanos Trade Paperback, The Official Marvel Comic Samlung Hardcover Classic Volume 24, it's a German reprint, Guardians of the Galaxy Solo Classic Omnibus Hardcover, and digitally on Comixology.com and on Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited. And you're informed. Excellent. I feel more informed. Or that's possibly just a headache. Yeah, one of the two. It's one the of the two. We'll see. We'll see, yes. So, we are on Captain Marvel number 30. January 1974. Ooh, New Year. New, well, New Year cover date. Uh, in all reality, this is, what, fall 1973? Yeah, that's true. So, uh... Whatever now, I said before, because I don't remember now. Now, so, um... As I'm looking at the cover... Yes. So, and the Marvel vs. the controller. Yes. Now, me being me, the first thing I'm noticing is Luann. Yes. Partially because she's not wearing a whole hell of a lot. Well, she's in that 70s button-down shirt, but it's tied up all the way right under her chest. Right, exactly. And, and, nice that was not, and that was not what she was wearing the last time we saw her. So at some point, whilst being held captive by the con- controller, she changed into a sexy outfit and I'm thinking the controller might have had something to do with this. He's not just a power hungry bad guy, he's also a perv. Well, yeah. Okay. I mean, but are also, you surprised by that? Not in the least. Here's the other thing though. I'm Here's actually looking back thing. through twenty nine now to see where she was and see what she was wearing. Yeah, you're right. She's wearing a more regular, no button-downs. Her outfit's on a button-down. Exactly. Now, but here's the other thing I'm noticing about Luann on the cover of number 30 here, which is her leg. I'm presuming that's her leg. It's kind of hard to make out. The coloring's a little wonky. But this red thing that I'm presuming is supposed to be a pant, leg, and boot, maybe, it looks like instead she's wearing one of Captain America's swashbuckler boots. Yeah, it does kind of look like a pirate boot. Right. Or it could the, be a bell-bottom, because, I mean, it is the 70s. That's that's probably what it's intended to be, but the weird coloring makes it look like it is, in fact, one of Captain America's boots, which is possible, as she was being uh, in repose in her controlled state, or however you want to describe her her in uh, convalescence there in the last couple of issues at Avengers Mansion. So for all we know, she got up at some time, at some point and rifled Captain America's closet. Yeah, well, hey, just because he's a freak and a jerk and a complete <laughs> douche doesn't mean that the controller wants all these people hanging around him smelling. This is true. This so is maybe, true. To be fair to him, maybe he didn't do anything perfect to her. Maybe he's just like, all right, remember, once a day, here's the rule, change clothes, quick shower. And Because i got to have you all standing around me. And if you're all standing around me and none of you have showered for days or changed your clothes, it's going to get ranking here. Hey, all I'm saying is, as we will see later in this issue, take it from me. I know. 100 mind-controlled slaves all in one place. What a stink. I can, yeah. <laughs> um, now, Personal I'll let you experience. ponder which end of that equation I was on at the time, but that's all I'm going to say. Uh, so... This one, this is another thing I like about the cover, is the little um, caption box that reads, this one's pure action from cover to cover. And I feel like 
while you saw that a lot in on Marvel Comics covers in, 19, in the 60s and 70s, at the same time, after last issue, which was kind of heady and talky and mental, I can see why they would want to put this on the cover of this issue to say, well, if you thought last issue was a bit of a drag, don't worry, we're back to the action. Yeah, well, last issue, yeah, that's right, because last issue was the most cosmic superhero of all. Mm-hmm. And now this and one's it, the action, action book. But it still says the most cosmic superhero of all. It's just up at the top now. Oh, yeah. I to, I'm wondering, I've been paying attention for 31. I'm wondering if that's up there now permanently, like his own little subtitle. Might be. Might be. I don't know. We will find out going forward in future episodes of Resurrection, the unofficial Ad- Jim Starlin podcast. You almost said Adam Starlin, didn't you? I, I, I almost said Adam Starlin. And wherever you are, Adam Starlin, sorry to name check you on a completely unrelated podcast. He's an accountant in Iowa somewhere or something, you know. But we love you, Adam. And he's probably, for all we know, he's, and he's listening to this because he's also a comic book fan. And he's like, hey. Well, he's like, hey, I'm Adam Starlin. I gotta like this stuff, right? <laughs> exactly. So, that's all I got on the cover. Yeah, no, I'm, you like it? What do you think? Yay, nay? Um, I mean, I think, it, I think it's be honest, job, big controller be, fighting him. To be honest, it's a showcase for the new look Captain Marvel, so that's good. But this whole King Kong thing that the controller has going on is a little awkward for my He is taste. very ape-like looking. And like I said, because my eye being is, is and, and let's face it, the eye of any member of this book's potential target audience in 1973, their eye is going to go to get drawn to one place right off the bat. And since that doesn't appear to be the focus of this cover i actually am not the biggest fan of this cover well because i'm looking at right now my hand covering the bottom because i'm assuming on the newsstand in 74 it's on the rack you're only seeing that top half okay okay so i'm wondering if it was just like you know you got the big captain marvel cover you got the two of them duking it out right up top so you got a nice big action thing and then like you know the 12 year old then gets a surprise when he pulls it up and you know what? In that a way, sounds wrong. It's actually the perfect cover for this issue for the simple reason that if you've been following along, you had Rick Jones, Luann, the controller, this running storyline that took a one issue hiatus for last issue's psychedelicness. And now and, we have a climax of that. Right. And so now this is telling the reader in no uncertain terms, unequivocally, that we're back to the plot that fight against the controller will resume and it will resume in this issue. So for that reason, I guess, yes, it's an, it's a, it's an effective cover. It's just, I don't know if I, if I, with my jaded comic readers, I think it's the best composed cover I've ever seen. Oh yeah. No, I'm not talking about that. No, it's not the best. I mean, it's, it's a decent one though, but like I'm saying, it does its job, I think, or at least it did its job. Mm hmm. It's eye-catching enough to make someone go, oh, what's this? Oh, hey, look at that. Big fight. Big so, fight, yes. We want punches. Lots and lots of punching. And so we are start off. So, okay, let's see. So we're going in there. So we got, oh, Iron Man's here. Yeah, Iron Man's here. He, We are joining this kind of stuff has happened since the end of last issue. Cap has clearly sought out Iron Man, and they have got Iron Man's computer assembler putting together a tracker or a tracer. 
Yeah. Now, by the way, do you notice on the credits it says brought to you by the Detroit gang? Yes, I did notice so, that. So uh, yes. were they all from Detroit or at least Starlin and Milgram? Starlin, Milgram, and Orzachowski, I believe, because wow. the only one who was left out is honorary Motowner Roy Thomas, name-checked as the other. I didn't even notice he said honorary Motowner. You're right. Which, which, by process of elimination, I'm thinking that has to mean that Starlin, Milgram, and Orzachowski all have to be from... Originally uh, from Detroit. From Detroit. So, hey, you know. Huh. Didn't realize that. That's cool. But yeah, no, I guess obviously Marvel came back because that's where Rick was. So that's where he ended up after the whole thing of Eon. Yes, yes. So I'm guessing, I I have to guess at this point, probably maybe Iron Man must have been uh, Starlin's favorite character. Outside of the the ones he's working on. Because he always is pulling Iron Man in. Yeah. yeah. He introduces Thanos in an issue of Iron Man. And even last, the one we, the book we did last episode, not we, but I mean for the show, Marvel Feature 12, is Iron Man and the Thing by, drawn by Starlin against the Blood Brothers. But not written, right? That was written by Len Wein, maybe? I don't, I I do not recall. I knew it when I did it last time, but I don't. (laughs) You don't, you don't hold on to this information. Um, now the thing about this panel, I had, I had, Right off the bat, I'm getting persnickety. Maybe it's just the mood I'm in. Uh, okay, go for it. Side note. Side note. We Sidebar. We are recording this episode, Al and I, on a Wednesday. This is, for future reference, perhaps not the best idea in the world because Wednesday's New Comics Day. So I spend my commute into and out of work. Uh, it's an hour-plus train ride. I spend that commute reading my week's haul of new comics. And the thing is, is that new comics in 2016 are a very different beast from the way comics were in 1973. We name check this all the time. We're constantly talking about how Bronze Age this is. But the point is, when you spend all day in the mindset of the rhythm of a comic, the way it's written in 2016, and then you have to go and read a comic that was written in 1973, or at least, you know, review a comic that was written in 1973 for purposes of podcasting with your good friend. It is quite a mental adjustment that needs to be made. So I'm going to put forth the theory that perhaps that some what of a dissonance between the modern feel and rhythm of comic book storytelling and this uh, might have something to do with why I let got right out the gate here on page one, a little cranky, a little nitpicky. Okay. So what's going to give you that? What's well, your two things? Two things. One is that I always love this kind of stuff in comic books where they have clearly, you know, Iron Man, they, they're acting like they've been working hard at something all night. And then, but then Iron Man says, the computer assembler is saying that our tracer is done. So really it was the computer assembler that did all the work. So I'm wondering, like, were these two sitting around drinking beers? Like, well, basically it's like, it's like in the 90s when, you know, you were downloading something and it took six hours. And you just yeah. end up kind of waiting with whoever you're with to watch, you know, the 30 second video that you were downloading. That's what I'm saying. And if that is in fact the case, then I don't blame Rick Jones, the disembodied head of Rick Jones, for being pissy. But that said, the disembodied head of Rick Jones is 
pissy and it's most unattractive. Like throughout this episode, every time Rick turns up, he's basically bitching at Marvell. And I cannot say that that makes him an appealing character at all. It got to the point where every time it looked like Captain Marvel was going to clang those wristbands together and bring Rick Jones back into the world. I was pretty much like, no, don't do it. <laughs> We're better off without him. Well, he probably needs him to. It's, it's better to put him somewhere where you can you know, No, he probably still has to listen to him anyway. And I think part of that is just an antipathy I've always kind of had towards Rick Jones. I know that he is a major character throughout Marvel history. He goes back all the way to Incredible Hulk number one. And yeah. he's, he's hung around with Marvel and with the Hulk and with Captain America and all that. And that said, I cannot recall a single comic I ever read that had Rick Jones in it that I liked that it had Rick Jones in it. What about um, Peter David's run of the Hulk? Um, I have read a good portion of that, not all of it. I'm still working on it, and I'm enjoying the hell out of it. Peter David's run of the on the Hulk is legendary and justifiably so. Yep. That said, I think that Rick is almost. I, I'm enjoying it almost in spite of Rick. It's like I do dig on the Roadshow act that. Um, uh, Quartermain and Banner and Rick have going on in the early days. But really, once the big blow-up happens and Hulk goes all Joe Fix-It and Rick kind of disappears for a while, and that's yeah. kind of where I am in the run right now is in Vegas. Uh, he'll come Marlo. back later. I, I think it was a pretty good introduction. But okay. We'll see when we'll you get see. to it. We'll see when I get to it, if that revises my opinion. But as it stands right now, I can't say that I've ever really genuinely enjoyed Rick Jones' participation in any Marvel comic I've ever read. And that goes mostly the biggest um, culprit there is Avengers Forever, which he pretty much ruined for me. I was so <laughs> digging Kurt Busiek's run on the Avengers, and then I took a break from the main book to take, to take that little side trip um, of Avengers Forever, and it's just everything about it was interesting, but it was all revolving around Rick Jones, and I was just like, no, no, I cannot stand this. Go away. I hate you. <laughs> so there you go. And see, so, I think that they, I think they should have made Rick an Avenger back in number five or four or three. Well, it is those different viewpoints that make this podcast interesting. All I know is that when I am presented with the giant floating disembodied head of Rick Jones on page one, and he's bitching out the my much preferred Marvel. Well, we're not off to the best start here. That's all I'm yeah. going to say. Oh no, well he's a very much whiny teenager here. I'm not going to argue that. Yeah. Oh man, and I love but I love how his his diction becomes formal just long enough to for him for for the title of the book yeah, to, to become a title dialogue. To be free from control. I'm like, wow, you really were working on that one, Zarlin, huh? How do I make this title work in a sentence? Yeah, <laughs> use it in a sentence. Ah, oh, do I have to? Yes. Okay. Ah, damn it. <laughs> so that's that's my take on page one. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think about what I was reading, but you're right. It says computer assembler, so basically, it's just like do 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 do. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess they had to put in. They maybe maybe they had to put in like the technical, like they had a pro they had to program it. I suppose this is the early seventies, so it's not like you just put. Some, I mean, yeah, I know that computer programming in the 1970s was much more work, but still, this just, you know what it reminded me of? Do you recall the very first podcast in this episode, 
the very first, I think it was the first one we did together, Resurrections episode we did together, that contained um, the first episode of The Power of Warlock. Yeah. Back at Marvel feature, Premier. was it? Marvel premiere. And we were making fun of how the high evolutionary, whatever it was that he was doing to create evolution with his machines, made him sweat, made his mask sweat with exertion. Yes. And his, I was thinking... His metal mask on his face. And we could not fathom for the life of us what he could possibly have been actually doing to cause this level of physical exertion and perspiration to sweat through metal through, to sweat through metal so anyway that's kind of what this put me in mind of so that's all i got <laughs> oh, okay so let's get past this way let's get past this way through metal mm-hmm. they got a they got a tracking device that's all we need to know that's all we need to know and then and i'm noticing here Starl and now i gotta reread a bunch of other bronze age stuff because starlin actually is pretty good at brief recap yes because he doesn't waste a page or two. I mean, we get it done in basically a panel or two, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's like, true. I was here. Controller attacked us. I got taken away. Eon did stuff to me. I'm back. And did you notice that in panel four on page two, how um, in that single flashback panel that contains the la- entire last issue encapsulated in one panel, that Eon, as drawn, the the human head part of Eon's split personality there looks like Charles Xavier to me. Yeah, of course he's a bald guy. Right, but just something about it so, like also I think the every bald guy the in the 70s comics looks like Charles Xavier. Maybe, but something about the well, something about the lines of his face or whatever. I was just like, "Oh, look, you know, uh, Charles Xavier." So there you have it. But he um, makes Mhm. Mhm. So, so now um uh Captain Marvel is telling him, "No, no, uh this affair started out as my responsibility, so ending it is my responsibility. Because Thanos is trying to conquer the universe, so I must be the only one to stop it. Alone. And that's just, I don't know, that seems to be the kind of honor before rationality sort of thing that does not fly with me. Like, I get that we're supposed to admire him for this, but all I'm thinking is, no, dude, when you're going up against any part of this, you do not turn down the help of any of the Avengers. None of yeah. them. If an Avenger, <laughs> Ray, if an Avenger offers to help you fight the bad guy, you say yes. Especially with the demigod, demigod. Right. Which, actually, I wasn't even thinking about it last time when we were talking about the origin of them and all that, Thanos mm-hmm. and them. And, like, we know they're the Titans, you know, the Eternals, which mm-hmm. is bad enough. But, I mean, think about the origin they gave last time. When he wrote it, he was actually planning on Thanos being... You know, um, the nephew of Zeus, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, actually, so I'm wondering now, do they ever, I have to wonder now, but it probably doesn't happen. I would love to see Hercules meet Thanos at this point, because at this point, they'd be related. Oh, oh my. I do not think that ever would have happened, though. No, I don't think it ever did happen, but yeah, they would have been related at this point. I think so, until it was changed that they were Eternals. Yeah, the next time we see Hercules, I think, is uh, as part of the Champions. Yeah, and I don't think they have anything to do with this. Yeah, so, so, but anyway. Um, but I, also, I just popped in my head when I was thinking about it the other day. I'm like, oh, yeah, he's a Greek god, basically. Yes. Yeah, basically. Basically, which makes sense, actually, because his name, Thanos, is very similar to the Greek word Thanatos, which is, which means death. Yes. 
So there. Haha. Flaunting, flaunting the big brain on this episode. Yes. Um, Although maybe Captain Marvel's using his cosmic awareness to know he can't handle what he has to do right now, at least. Maybe. I mean, that's... I would buy that explanation, but see, that explanation's coming from you. And I'm never a big fan of stories that need the audience to fill in the retcon, you know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, I mean, there's... It's a line. It's right. one thing of that, the fill in things that it's not put there, but you also can't, you know, there's also, I mean, if if they're not putting down every little minor line in the story, like, not not, not putting it down, but like, leaving things for you to infer, or not just telling you, and now he's lifting, you know, he's lifting his leg up and walking. Uh, yeah, I, you know I, I, mean? I, I hear you. yeah. Like, there's a line, like, you know, but that's a line that's kind of hard to tell unless the writer's actually, the creator's actually telling you, this is where what I was trying to do. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's hard to go, well, you know, it's inferred in there, and you're supposed to imply it, but they weren't outright pointing it out to you because you're not five, and on the other hand, it's like, or maybe they forgot to mention it. And now we're back at your desire to interview Jim Starlin. Hmm. <laughs> the other, the one other thing that I have to note here is it's always weird to me to go back and read 1970s Iron Man, either his solo book or as a part of the Avengers, because he was very much straightforward. I mean, I'm reading I, sparkling individualistic dialogue was not a big part of 70s comics as a general rule and Iron Man as in particular has always struck me as a particularly bland uh, personality in this part of comics history and the only reason I bring it up is again you know this being new comics day and me having read the newly uh, released issue of Invincible Iron Man earlier today reading this sort of uh, generic 1970s version of Iron Man really makes me miss Tony Snark. <laughs> well, he's definitely not this that character of Tony Stark. Right. But I've been kind of reading through like the books that come out alongside this one, like Iron Man and stuff. Okay, okay. A little bit of what you're saying is true, yes. But he's not, I mean, he does have some personality. I mean, right um, now I think around this time, he's trying not to have an affair of Pepper because she's married to Happy right now. Oh, well, <laughs> I love that he has to try not to have an affair. Like, have you tried not having an affair? <laughs> <laughs> have you tried not sleeping with my wife? Yes, yes. Was, was, was that part of your effort? I'm just curious. <laughs> but anyway, that was pretty much all I had to yeah. say here. Okay. However, Iron Man's here and Iron Man leaves because he goes to the Marvel feature 12, which we yes. did last episode, which was done with by me and Chris Matthews last episode. Ah, excellent. But the the page turn. This is actually that last full these, those last panels with Iron Man, and here we have put into sharp relief a running theme throughout this issue of Captain Marvel that it just I'll be honest it bothers me, and that's this. In the last panel on page two, he says that was a different time, a different Captain Marvel, and for the rest of this issue. The first two panels on page three, Iron Man's doing it. The narrator's doing it for the rest of the issue. We keep getting told how this is a different Captain Marvel, how changed he is. But thanks to the necessity of telling a comic book story with a conflict that is ultimately resolved by some form of fisticuffs, I don't know. At this point, and 
throughout the remainder of the episode, I'll just let you know right now, all of this quote-unquote changed Captain Marvel stuff, with the exception of the physical stuff like the photon trail, it's a lot of it is tell don't show, and well, it's a little. It's a little. I don't know. Let's. I mean, we could jump ahead to that because this one. Okay. We already did the synopsis. We don't do it in order. But okay. okay so we're up where he's fighting the controller. But what's the first thing he does? He doesn't go to fight the controller. He goes to talk to him. He does try to talk to him. That is absolutely true. He does try and talk him down. He only fights the guys that the controller sends after him. Which, by the way, I love that the controller sends his minions after him, James Bond villain style. You guys go attack him. Uh, you four regular humans attack the super strong Kree, Kree alien warrior who can fly, and mm-hmm. I will look over here because I'm sure I look watching you defeat my enemy. Besides not being completely satisfying, mm-hmm. I'm sure I don't need to see what's happening. I'm just gonna look at the spot on the wall. This is uh, well, no. Well, what, I, do you mean, he, what do you mean you won? How did that happen? I loved that moment. I thought that was brilliantly done. That oh, was it's funny as hell, but that's basically it's, it's Bond villain style. And it also and it's also funny to me because throughout the rest of the issue, the controller has this very over the top uh uh monologuing supervillain style of dialogue. I must have the power, he has promised me power, I will serve the master, blah blah blah. It's all very like sort of formal monologuing kind of deal on that and just then there's just that one panel where he goes like it's funny it just follows on he goes captain marvel you've arrived earlier than expected but still not too early to die and he goes no i've come to talk and he goes wrong waste him it's like for that one panel all of a sudden he's a gangster like what (laughs) to go back with your analogy from before basically he's everyone going ready ready get him Yes, waste them. <laughs> but uh, and you're right. Get them right, real, really. And it's just it's so cool because I it, love it, that part. Yeah, oh because God, it's one awesome. panel of like off off panel shenanigans, and then he just like I said, I've come to talk, and that was really really good. I'm just I guess my contention is simply just the fact that he talks to the villain before having to beat him up. Yeah, he's, that's not he's this like, oh, monumental change. Fight. Is this is that a monumental change or is it not? I don't know. For, Warlock. I mean, sorry for Adam. For ah, who is this again? <laughs> for Adam Warlock. Biff the troll. Uh, get I, Thanos. Uh, somebody. Al, I know this is Resurrections, but not every character is Adam Warlock. So I say Gamora. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. He could be Gamora. <laughs> or possibly the Magus. And I could be very easily confused. <laughs> well, his hair be close. His hair is closer to the Megasus hair, at least. It's Captain Marvel. Yes, but I mean, for him, that's a change. I mean, he was very much Cree warrior guy. Mm-hmm. And I have the to fact say that I- he's actually like, okay, no, yes, you've kidnapped my alter ego's girlfriend. You're a horrible, horrible, despicable being. But it and doesn't I- mean I have to punch you. I, I, I hear that, and it's, I also am very impressed. It, it, I do need to point out, I'm very impressed that the controller engages him in dialogue for that long. And it's, like, he, he gives, like, he gives him, like, the controller almost gives him time to talk. He's almost like, okay, make your pitch. I'll hear what you have to say. He's like, a second ago he was trying to kill him, and now he's like, go ahead, say, say your piece. Well, actually, it's almost like he's def- he's so caught off guard, he's defending himself, because when Marvel tells him, I'm here to tell you the wrong you've done to yourself, 
He goes, the controller's response is, what are you babbling about? I've done all right by myself. I've got all the wealth I need. I'll soon have all the power I desire. It's like, wait, wait, what? What? Not yeah. only you tell me you're not going to fight me, but you're attacking my cho- my life choices? No, 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 no. Got- hold it, hold it, hold it. No, I'm good. You don't that's- understand, Dad. I know what I'm doing. Well, that's the funny thing is, now I'm jaded. This was very much an artifact of its time. So I am jaded and cynical and much, much, you know, older and later than, than this comic would have been aimed at. That said, yeah. I really wish that Captain Marvel... That he said that and made this impassioned plea. You let the priceless treasures of inner peace and truth elude you. How great would it have been right at that point if the controller currently rocking the strength of a thousand people? I think at one other point in this comp, in this issue, Starlin very eloquently describes it as the combined strength of an entire city. If he had just clocked. Captain Marvel, right at that point, it would have been awesome. Inner peace and truth. Gush. That would have been inner fantastic. <laughs> I got your inner peace right here. <laughs> oh, that would have been fantastic. But, uh, but you know, no, no, he's, he's speechifying. Peace, truth, with enough power, you create your own peace and truth. Counterfeit values controller. It's like, he's actually, like, I love that Captain Marvel is laying this hippy dippy trip on him. It's fantastic, actually. I know. That's why I said I'm entertained by this. You know, because it's just so strange. It is genuinely, genuinely weird. And then, just to, skipping forward ahead, if you'll allow me, uh, just to keep the thread of this particular critique going. I particularly love on page 11 where the controller is, he just, he's ready to, to hit Captain Marvel. Only then he notices Captain Marvel's eyes. Like this is what it actually says. The controller notices and their eyes line across the room, something disturbing. And, and he could tell from his eyes how, and this is what kind of what I was talking about, how it's the narrator giving us a lot of telling, not showing Admittedly, there's some pretty cool illustrations accompanying it, how Captain Marvel's face becomes this sort of cosmic Garfield. cutout in a way, and that's very cool. I like the, the the visuals, but that said, still, it's very much like the controller can tell by looking in his eyes that he has gained cosmic awareness, and I'm thinking, what? Say what? Part of this part of this whole conflict has come about because the controller is basically a power mad thug who isn't bright enough to pick up on the very obvious fact that Thanos is using him and will dispose of him at the first available opportunity. Like that is a very obvious fact to everybody except the controller, but he's not Despite that the fact bright. that Thanos has told him that. Yeah. And Thanos actually tells him, if you don't kill Captain Marvel today, I will kill you. Right. And despite the fact that he is presented in all other instances as this not real bright thug, nevertheless, we are expected to buy here on the top half of page 11 that he is a, is in fact that sensitive a soul that he can tell from that he looks into Captain Marvel's eyes and can tell. And I'm thinking, uh, you are like this, this whole sequence of notions and we can get back to the rest of the of of the issue and its its undeniable strengths after this. I just want to conclude my critique of this thread by saying this issue 
but in 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 concluding the uh, Captain Marvel changed in a peaceable cosmic protector kind of way by Eon, I feel like in all honesty, it kind of got lost up its own metaphorical bunghole in a way. And this <laughs> sequence kind of is the, is the strongest illustration of that for me. Now everyone else can say, Brian, you are an insensitive Neanderthal who just cannot appreciate the nuanced and impassioned, uh, uh, presentation of a real deep trip that Starlin is laying on us, man. And I'll accept that. That is entirely possible that I am just that much of a Philistine. But I don't think so. And that's how, what I'm, that's how I'm receiving this whole part of this issue. So anyway, I just wanted to get that off my chest right up front. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice and see on land and air. Firestorm and Aquaman, they make a super pair. The Fire and Water Podcast, celebrating Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas, and Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. Available weekly on Aquaman Trine, Firestorm Van, and on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, here to talk about Firestorm. Along with me is my co-host, Rob Kelly, here to talk about some guy that talks to fish. Really? You're going to pull this crap during the promo? Bad enough, I have to put up with your shenanigans every week, but... There you go. No, I mean, I can see what you're saying on that one, yeah, because he is a, just a dumb thug, basically. Well, I mean, a smart enough thug to make a control disc, because, you know, he made his own weapons originally. So no, no, no. He's that no. smart enough, but he, at his heart, yeah, at his heart and soul, the control is just a big thug. Right, right. So I'm just, I'm just not buying this, and just every time, like, like, literally, this three-panel sequence, it's funny, because I read this three-panel sequence, and I, I won't read the whole, well... For effect, I might have to, but he basically said, this is not the man the controller humbled at Avengers Mansion. The This man has conquered. He's beaten vanity and pride by seeing the universe as it is. He knows what must be done and does it, but does it with a great sorrow. And for this man knows truth and peace. He now wishes to share this knowledge, but knowledge must be protected. And this man can protect it, for he is now cosmically aware. To and be I'm fair. Saying, Mm-hmm. Sorry, but I just want to say, to be fair, what you're saying, however, and mm-hmm. doesn't mean you have to like it or not, more like it more or not. But the only thing it says the controller notice realizes is that it's not the same. He is basically not the same man he fought yesterday. No, that's true. So he, he might doesn't. Notice just he doesn't something mean, different. So it doesn't mean that he notices he's cosmically aware. Where he's just, it's just them telling us this guy's cosmically aware. No, that's absolutely fair, and I will buy that. That the rest of it is just the narrator sort of saying what the controller doesn't realize is kind of a deal. I'm just saying that for me, like reading that whole sequence, that whole narration there, like literally, my first thought was, I know what all those words mean, and yet put together in exactly that sequence, I have no idea what they just said. So that was kind of where I was at at this point. Thankfully, thankfully, 
the bottom of page 11 rescues me from this quandary, rescues me from this feel uncomfortable feeling that I'm having by just having Captain Marvel punch the controller through a wall. Yes. Like we said, punching his way to peace. Punching his way to peace. Now, and we are meant to believe that this punch would not have been possible if the timing of the punch had not been perfectly worked out thanks to Captain Marvel's cosmic awareness. And once again, we're back to I don't know what that means. However... Yeah, it, I, I told you what I think it is last time. He, <laughs> he's Superman. He's Superman. Okay. He's, he uses microscope. You know, he uses super senses. I guess I can buy that. And and all uh, the last thing, and this is super facetious, but I just do have to point out that in panel five here on page 11, where the um, controller is shown sort of taken aback and in fear against the star field and plan- stars and planets, you know, the, the Starlin cosmic. And you can just be freaked up like, dude, what happened to your face? True. But I just, I also have to point out that um, this um, uh, uh, planet behind the controller looks like a pepperoni pizza. And I was most... Uh, made it most does. hungry by this. And then, of course, the, um, to the on the left side of the panel, by the way, is Jim Starlin's favorite random planet, which is just brown planet with random lot with straight lines going back and forth. Yes, I know. I love those. There's one it's of those like trig- triangles in between, like, you know, triangles and then just keep doodling some more straight lines around it. There's a red one earlier. Actually, my understanding and this is just more of my own conjecture, but I think it's backed up by some evidence that I do not have at my fingertips right now. But truthfully, I think that that was not just Starlin using that. I think that was a common sort of shorthand in the 1960s and 70s to indicate a planet that is settled and technologically advanced and therefore built up. Like, that's a world that has structures and and, and buildings. That's what all those it. straight lines are. As opposed to an uninhabited or desolate world, which would be what we see on the right side of this panel. With all the impacts from the Like just, just a bunch of craters and a whole lot of nothing. Like that reads as desolate. I think that that was the shorthand for inhabited civilized world. I could be wrong about that, but I, that's, that's something I think. Yeah. And while I do like, I always, I usually do enjoy when they do the cosmic awareness look of Marvel. Mm-hmm. I do say on this page, you're right, that bottom panel is the best thing. Oh, true. It's just like crunch. That is beautiful. Of him flying out the wall because Marvel punched the hell out of him. Okay. So now in my never ending, uh, bitch fest. Um, okay. This is good. I'm, I have to go back to page three. Okay. Which is where we took off from. Iron Man has just left. Rick Jones, the disembodied head of Rick Jones shows up and starts bitching Captain Marvel out again for not going after Luann right this instance. And that is something I've read this in so many comic books of the 1960s and 70s. Characters who are not just headstrong, not just quick, unwisely quick to action. That's a common trope in 1960s and 70s comics. Fine, that's a character type. We can get down with that. But it's like when they're sitting there saying that is the only way to get anything done, when they are so impetuous that action, 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 now, 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 is clearly their only conceivable method of accomplishing anything, I'm trying... That is hard for me like to believe in. Like I can't believe any human being that has existed and brushed his own teeth on the planet <laughs> for, for longer than five years could 
possibly really genuinely own that mindset. So that I found a little jarring here is he's just bitching. I get that it was, it was meant to create some conflict because there's always a sort of tension between Rick and Captain Marvel, but also that we're supposed to, it's supposed to illustrate how into Luan Rick is and how desperate he is to save her. And probably show off the whole youth versus age and give us another illustration gap. And give us another illustration of Captain Marvel's new personality, I guess. Yeah, new uh, perspective. Not, not, not a strong moment for me. Just saying. No, no, definitely not. I will say, going back to here, better moment actually is the page two. Mm-hmm. Are we count? By the way, we count that middle section of page two. The flashback is three panels or one. 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 Okay. So one, two, three, four. So panel five. Yes. I was I was just thinking about it when we were talking about that panel before. I also love that panel because basically you got look at what Iron Man because Captain Marvel is giving Iron Man the recap, right? You know, uh, controller beat you all up because you should know that you were there, and then I got taken away with the wall fell on us, and then I got taken away, and Rick was stuck in the wall, and Eon came and did things to me, and then I came back here, and it looks like Iron Man's like especially the way the okay because he just said, his line is okay what now the way mm-hmm. the okay is highlighted and like. Mm-hmm. Emphasize. It almost looks like Iron Man's just sitting there watching him, going, "Okay, what <laughs> actually, now?" I was actually thinking more along the "Okay," <laughs> like I know I was here for most of that. Yeah, either one, either one could go with. I can go with that one, or the you know, like I can go with yours. I can go with mine. I'm like, okay, I have no idea what the hell that means, but okay. So we're I don't think I want pay. you to explain it to me. Returning to page three real quick, I, I, I have a question for you because you, I think a lot of the Captain Marvel stuff prior to issue 29 is fresher in your mind than it is in mine, possibly. Um, in panel four on page three, uh, Captain Marvel responds to Rick's bitching. He explains, you know, I'm not, by not impetuously confronting the controller at night when my photonic powers are at their lowest. Are photonic powers something that we're familiar with Captain Marvel having, or is this brand new? Yes. No, they've been around for a little bit. I can't remember if, because it's been a while since we've done them, whether it started, it was, it's at one of the points where they redid it with him and Rick Jones bonding. So I'm not sure it was like 20 or even 25. But yeah, it was established that his powers get halved at like night, more or less. Okay. So that is not a new bit of information. Yeah, he's powered by the sun. And, of course, in true 70s fashion, it doesn't mean, well, he's powered by the sun, so he's been in the sun all day, so he's 100% power, so he just has whatever he has left in him as he goes through the night. No, it's the sun went down, power down by half. You know, it's not that he's been absorbing power the whole time. He's basically just plugged into the sun, I guess, and as soon as the sun goes away, he's like, nope, power down. Right, gotcha. You've got half your power now, but the moment the sun goes up, you're back to full strength. So now... Um, I, I love that, of course, because you're like, oh, seventies. Ah, seven, seven. Moving on to page four, I have to say, I really dig the, how this page ends because the the I'm just hearing Edna Mode from the uh, from the Incredibles in my head. No monologuing, darling, you know. <laughs> and here's the controller monologuing. Well, the controller's not just monologuing. The controller's putting on a show. He really is. This is, this is, you know. This is ego. And I'm not talking about the Planet. 
I'm talking, this is Runaway Ego at its finest, because he's like, me, 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 you all love me, I'm your master. I am awesome, and like I said, he's got he's got hundreds of mind-controlled slaves all in one place at one time. Do you, good, you know, good thing he's making them shower. That said, and I love how this is all, I love how his monologue is interrupted by Thanos. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons we're doing this podcast in the first place is Thanos is an awesome character. He really is. And this is part, this is one of the places he establishes himself as a complete badass. Well, the controller is your run of the mill, standard issue, 1970s supervillain, carrying on and monologuing and you know, I chewing have you scenery. I control and you will all now listen to my speech because I'm going just, to conquer the world. And then Thanos cuts him off and just goes, you Fool, you're sitting here, this insane ego boosting. I have, I have, you have work to do. Get to it. And I'm like, yes. This is our secret army. Okay? Secret army does not work when you bring them all together. This is, this is so great. I love that. that, What the hell is wrong with you, boy? Get over here, boy. Listen to what I'm talking about. He's actually mission focused. And that's so rare in a supervillain in this era. Like, Thanos is immediately head and shoulders. Like, he is just. In one fell swoop, he has just achieved Doctor Doom level gravitas. Yeah, because he can pay attention. He has a prize, and he's paying attention to that prize. Yeah, so I love it. And then, and then, of course, he proceeds to. Have we established when? I forget when and how we very we first saw this hooded figure that's been hanging around with him. Um, I know that was Captain Marvel twenty five or twenty six when he met fought the thing. Okay, and I am. 90 something percent certain that we have established, and not just we know who it is, but it was established in the book at some point that it is death. Okay. Okay. I wasn't sure about that. I just wanted to. Well, you know what? As a plan for next episode, Mm -hmm. I am going to skim through. I'm going to read out, re put on my tablet the 25 through 28, and just kind of re skim through those to see where that's centered or not, just so we can go going forward. Know whether, in case we get to 32 and there's a big reveal about it being death, we know, okay, this is a reveal. Good, so we've both got our homework cut out for the next episode. Yes. So, uh, now, now I'm actually, for, for time purposes, I think perhaps skip over this one page Mordecai P. Boggs yeah, side thing. I love, and now we get another, another title. So this is yeah, chapter like two, three, I suppose. Yeah, there's like three chapters in this. Oh, and the, the third title is amazing. I'll get to that in a oh, moment. Oh, I thought you were going to like that one because it's the whole talk, it, you know, it's said. Yes, yes, and it's so good. But 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 here, so the sun comes up, and now Captain Marvel is monologuing, <laughs> and he's got this new photonic, and I like how, I actually find that Rick's like, I've got some disturbing news for you. You've developed a sparkling trail behind you when you fly. Why is Dude, this you got disturbing? glitter coming out of you. Why is that disturbing? I don't think that's this. Like I, I'm trying to put myself in in into the into the world, like into Rick's head. I still don't think it's disturbing. I think it's like, uh, dude, you you you're you're glittering. That's kind of cool. Glitter coming out of your ass. What's going on here? Where, where do we go? <laughs> and I do like that Marvel basically tells him, yeah, no, it's nothing. <laughs> doesn't matter. Moving it on. Doesn't affect the environment. It's not causing a problem for anybody. I sparkle. Okay, look, I'm that awesome. Deal with it. So, um, and so he, he busts Back in. where we were. Back where we were. 
Now, I love this. Right. Now we've caught up to ourselves, as it were. And I just love it because this is the kind of classic moment. It's such a cliche. And yet it probably doesn't take place as often as the cliche would have you believe it does. So you have to, like, really soak in it and revel in it and appreciate it when it does. Captain Marvel crashes through the window and the controller goes, Captain Marvel. It's such a, like, that is a great moment. I love it. Someone kick his ass. It's classic. And so, yeah, we get the fabulous uh, Wastem and et cetera. And, and Captain Marvel tries and fails to talk to, to, to <laughs> see, thus proving you do realize that this is the MO of Squirrel Girl. Squirrel Girl succeeds where even Captain Marvel failed, thus lending further credence to the ridiculous yet undeniable assertion that Squirrel Girl is the greatest superhero in the Marvel Universe. Well, who, is she ta- who is she talking to that she succeeded? Oh, she has succeeded in talking down Galactus, Craven. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm sure there were, there were others. I don't know if she's faced anyone else of name. Uh, so far that I've, that I've read. <laughs> but, uh, so far in her own, in The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, which is possibly the best book currently being published in comics, period, hands down, period. I think the only solo Squirrel Girl, cause I know she's been like, you know, she's been in some new Avengers and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the only solo Squirrel Girl I've read was drawn by Steve Ditko. Yeah, that was a, that was, I believe, her first one. Yeah. Her, her very first appearance. No, believe you me. Believe you me, um, I recommend The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl in every conceivable way. I, I cannot recommend it in strong enough terms. It is a unique and delightful and completely worthwhile uh, everything, and I love it to death every week that it comes out. Well, at some so, point when I get to that point, I'll probably be checking it. At least so, try. But anyway, the point is, Part of part of part of what makes her awesome is she always tries to befriend the bad guy and like talk them out of doing whatever it is they're going to do. And as often as not, she succeeds. And so that's like Squirrel Girl succeeding where Captain Marvel here fails. Yeah. Well, if this was new to him, then that's fair. That's true. That's fair. But you know who else I've seen do stuff like this? Just to say, not always, but I've seen him do it. Who? Superman. Okay. <laughs> That's fair. That is a very fair point. So, okay, um, I'm going to drop my Superman theory from out for the episode because no, 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 it's it's well established, and I think I, I'm buying it at least. Um, moving on, the fight is established. The disembodied head of of Rick on page nine, really odd looking. It, it's all with the shadows around the eyes and. Look, while Marvel slept, Rick was awake all night, going, "Is it time yet?" Can we go rescue her now? Can we rescue her now? Can we rescue her now? Can we rescue her now? I guess it just looks like voodoo zombie Rick or something, yeah. Have you seen that new commercial for iPhone with Cookie Monster? No. <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, you have to go watch that later. But okay. If anyone has seen that, they know exactly what I'm talking about. That was Rick Jones the night before. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Cookie Monster's making cookies, and he has Siri to make a, you know, how long cookie, till cookie's done? 14 minutes. Play Waiting Playlist. And they play Time in a Bottle. Yeah. <laughs> and then and you see him do, like, 80 things. You know, it's like a montage. Uh-huh. He goes, Siri, how long left in timer? And they show 13 minutes and 9 seconds. <laughs> that is awesome. I love it. And that was Rick Jones the night before. 
I believe that. I believe that because he's without Luann and being a teenage what boy. What he needs to do is when he gets home, he's going to get some tea bags and put them over his eyes and he'll be fine. You know, this makes Those lines be gone sense. Soon. I can understand Rick's desperation because A, Rick is a teenage boy and B, as evidenced in the last panel of this page, Luann is a fine piece. So if he's getting some from Luann, I can see where being denied that would cause some desperation. Yes. yes. Um, and it's I do desperate. like, I like that he just tosses the controller out the window. It's so like disrespectful. He's like, I tried to talk to you, but she insisted on fighting. Fine. Later for you. You're out. <clears throat> out to Done the sidewalk you. you go. And this is, although the first pan, the, the top panel on that page and the next page, what is it? Uh, 10. That's pretty bitching too. Mm-hmm. The controller like coming through the wall behind them. I know that, 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 I just love that it, it's so like hilarious because Captain Marvel, he finally finds Luann and he's like, I found her. I've got to get her out of here before. Boom. And it's like, you're just like, you had like no, before time. That. that was it. Yeah. That's what I was trying no to do. Time. Um, and, and then of uh, course controller lets him know what's going to happen. And so I like, yeah, him. more monologuing. I love it. You know, this is, this is a very, very wordy comic book. Well, yeah. Well, it's the bronze age. Yeah. I'll yeah, no, I suppose that's true. I suppose that's true. So, um, Earth but yeah, be- I like the whole thing with him on his throne, like his little imaginary thing. I have a throne with a scepter. I will be the ruler of Earth, and it's like that's what he wants. Why do you I'm want a to- king? I- Yay! <laughs> exactly. And so I love this because now you know we move past uh, page uh, eleven, which we already uh, yeah, um, cosmic awareness, <laughs> and then on page twelve. We get to, as you pointed out, the third and final title of the issue. And it's like so, it's so funny how Captain Marvel says, uh, I, you seek power built on ruined lives. Because of this, I must cause thee. And then it's end of an empire. And it's like, I'm just, it's so weird. Like by, by any standards that I'm used to, it's so unusual. And it's like, it neat in a way, but it's like charmingly cheesy is the best way I can describe it. Starlin had some cool ideas for story titles, and he's, like, trying to cram them all in and find ways to make it work. He's like, I want to make it work with the dialogue somehow. Somehow. Even if it doesn't. But yeah. it's entertaining. So, I, um... Still, I mean, that's kind of like... But, like, you can still tell his influences. I mean, he's still influenced by Silver Age, which I think is why we have so much wordage of what's going on, even though sometimes you can see what's going on. You still have the wordage. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. the... Splitting the story up into chapters, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even though it's still one story, it's still different chapters of them. So, because you know he grew up reading Silver Age books, which had you know even the early Fantastic Four books and stuff, they did chapters. Oh no, you can absolutely to take a step back and to to rein in my nitpicking for a moment. I do give Starlin all the credit in the world and all the respect and admiration in the world. He was a true giant and heavyweight of Bronze Age comics creating because you can see the influence as you point out, he clearly grew up reading Silver Age comics and that's what influenced him. You can see the Kirby influence in his work and yet he's not just aping Kirby, he's taking it a step further and because all of that is so visible on the page in every atom of his work I do give him all the respect and props he deserves 
for that. Not just Kirby. I should also name Chick Steranko in there because there's clearly a measure oh, of God, yes, uh, Jim Steranko in his in his artistic DNA. But um, you know, because he was both respectful of his influences and advancing from where they took him, I think you know, very very fine work and worthy of all respect and admiration. That's all. Well, so, I think if anyone listened to the last episode, I mean, the last episode we did for Captain Marvel 29, they should definitely know that because we did gush on about that for quite a little bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So back back to the Captain Marvel controller fist, because I just love the um, page 13 is three vertical panels. Um, oh, the boom, building boom, being boom, demolished, basically. The building just being demolished, which is hilarious because Captain Marvel was trying so hard to to, to keep it from being demolished because it had all the slaves and, and Luann, most importantly, Luann inside. Yeah. And slaves, Schmaves. But, but it doesn't matter because the controller is just out of, con- ironically, the controller is out of control. Ha uh-huh. But anyway, Nawaka. three vertical panels and the last one is just awesome because just put aside all the speechifying because speechifying during fighting is hilarious and whatever. Oh yeah. Part of the course. But just, the last panel, the, the building has been reduced to rubble. Captain Marvel is caught unawares, and the controller is completely, like, stretched out, spread-eagled, in a deadfall, about to body slam, like, splash on top of yeah. Captain Marvel. And that is just the most one of the most amazing images I think any comic book had ever produced up until this point. <laughs> like, I am in love with this panel because yeah, it is so... There is some- Simultaneously awesome, awesome and this ridiculous issue. in an awesome way. I mean, last issue had like a really cool story and cool little bits here and there, but and it was an amazing issue. But this one just has like some really, really striking panels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree completely. Like, wow. Like you really went all out. It's almost like he got so jazzed up by what was going on last issue. Mm-hmm. That he's like, I gotta step up my game now. Well, he was clearly in some sort of a creative groove. He was clearly like firing on all cylinders, as it were. And, uh, you're right. He wasn't just resting on his laurels. It's funny, actually. I actually have not read it yet, but I just, um, uh, uh got Captain, uh, not Captain. I just got the Marvel Masterworks Black Panther number one. Oh, okay. Um, which contains the complete Panther's Rage uh, storyline from uh, what was then called Jungle, Jungle Action. Action. And um, most importantly, it has a, an introduction that was written by, uh, one second, and I can tell you who it was written by, um, uh, Don McGregor, who, who wrote oh, it. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and, and he says about Panther's Rage, which was published around the same time, uh, the early 1970s, he says, um, good, bad, or indifferent, in the 1970s, when they, when these were originally written and drawn, he's talking about the Panther's Rage issues, there was only a short time frame between 1973 and 1976 where there was a tiny gap at Marvel Comics where this kind of book and a few others could become a reality. And I really have to think that one of those other kinds that he was talking about would have been this particular run on Captain Marvel by Jim Starlin. And you have to see in, the, in pages like uh, page 13 here that Captain, that, that Starlin was aware of this and was taking advantage of it. Like he was saying, I have an, uh, he had to know 
the unprecedented level of creative freedom that he had. Um, oh, I in think that's doing this book. By last issue, obviously. And and he was like, and so I am going to take that ball and run with it for all I'm worth. So and for that, for all the for all the 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 details that I think he could have done differently, as I pointed out. In, so far in this podcast, in this ep- episode of this podcast, at the same time, I have to give him all props for thinking big and letting his flag fly. Yes. And it's flying. So really, I, I have to say, in all honesty, I uh, the rest of the issue is a pretty standard punch him up until Thanos interrupts. Well, I, I'd like the full page spread. Mm-hmm. The kick to the face. Yes, no, that was amazing. That was, and uh, then yeah, it's it's not a bad fight, but yeah, it still just finishes fighting. It they're they're just fighting, and it and it comes. But what I love is 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 although actually Thanos, no, wait, that, that that what's the page after that? Um, where you get the is again where, where like they don't always do this right, but it's what page sixteen where you get the really that sense of scale on that last part of the panel. That's true. Where That's you get true. to scale that, like, the controller really is that much bigger. Yeah. I mean, he's almost like, he's like, oh, yeah, he's towering over him. No, you're right about that. I, I dig on that. And and the fight is powerful. But that said, for me, the real noteworthy moment is on page 17 oh, when, when in the Thanos first panel when up. Thanos interrupts. Now, when I first read through this issue, this irritated me. Because I said to myself, what are you doing, Thanos? I mean, I get Thanos says, you know, uh, you're about to be defeated, so I'm just cutting this short. Yeah, I don't time to waste. You know, at the same time, it's like clearly Thanos, Thanos being Thanos, in love with death, half named after death, whatever. He's clearly not a believer in the concept of why there's life, there's hope. But that said, like, this is egregious. This is egregious that he just like shut it down like this. He said, well, you're not even going to have the chance to finish him off. I've decided you have no chance and therefore I'm, kill- I'm doing, I'm finishing Captain Marvel's work for him. And, you know, but, 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 but I've had some time to reflect on it and I've actually come to a different interpretation of this interruption. Oh, which is Thanos. This entire fight has given Thanos tremendous respect for Captain Marvel. And I think for the first time in this ongoing scheme, on the, in this ongoing effort to take over the solar system that we've seen Thanos engaged in pretty much since we were introduced to him in Iron Man 55, yeah. this is the first time I think that he takes Captain Marvel seriously Seriously. as his opponent, not just as a potential obstacle, but as his opponent. As an opponent. Not yet, exactly. He's not just a little, okay, yeah, this is an obstacle of the way, but I pick up the log so you don't drive over it. Exactly. So for me, I view this interruption as now Thanos views this entire endeavor as something of a chess match. And just like you get towards the end of a chess match and a lot of your options have been taken away, so instead of playing the game out to the end, you resign the match, right? Yep. That's what Thanos is doing here. He's resigning the match because he has gained that respect for his opponent. He now recognizes Captain Marvel as his opponent, recognizes his strength, respects him to this level. Game- Sorry. 
and and respects him to that level, and so he resigns the match. This is a chess match, and like now this this works for me. Now that I've come up with that interpretation, this works for me very nicely. There you go. But it might not just be just resigning from the match. It also might be because, like you said, he has like this newfound respect, which is I believe it's actually pretty probable here. The way that he even says it there, he's like, "There's something new about you." Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Different, and it might be kind of a okay. I'm resigning from the match. I'm going to kill the controller. Just basically saying, I'm going to kill you from mm-hmm. wherever I am. So let's see how you deal with that. You know, like okay, I have Marvel has my respect now a bit for what he's doing. So let's see how you handle me. Exactly. And I'm not even making you handle me. I'm just going to show you what I can do. Yeah. You know, now you, your move. Figure no. it out. Exactly. I, 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 I show off. He's showing off. Either way, it's making sense to me now, though, because this is about, like, the fight with the controller at this point, as I, as evidenced by the fact that I skimmed over the last two pages, like me, I know, you know, you had a few good points to make, but the fact that I skimmed over the last two pages of the fight between the controller and Captain Marvel made it clear that at this point, the fight, that fight has served its purpose, and now the real battle is between Captain Marvel and Thanos, and this is kind of putting that First, in the forefront. Yeah. Although so. I am entertained by the, the controller here. The Marvel did not lie. You are a faithless leader, just yeah, like no, you no. told me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, that's pretty fair of Thanos, actually. Look, this is what's going to happen. You're not going to be surprised. You win, you live. You lose, exactly. you die. That's it. Exactly. So, so I, hey, I, I, I thought that was, and that was probably a big part of having Thanos interrupted there was to show the controller, like, to end the fight by showing the controller the error of his ways and showing that Captain Marvel was right to try to talk him. Like, mm-hmm. like, basically validating Captain Marvel's talk first policy. Yeah. So like I can right see that. If you just could have got through to him, but yeah. Yep. So, and this is followed by the happy reunion between Rick and half-naked Luann. Yes. And like you said before, Drax showing up to meet Jarvis. Yes, the big cliffhanger. And uh, I and need then, Captain Marvel or Iron Man's help. Right. Because I don't know the rest of you people. One final page of our boy Thanos. With his girl. With his girl. And he's basically saying, and, and I like this because he's basically saying, because the Cosmic Cube has been around since the 60s. Yeah, Red Skull had it. Had it. And so he's saying all of these small-minded mortals have tried to use this They don't know what this for is. such petty aims. I am going to use it the way it was intended to be used because I only have one wish. And that's a real cliffhanger because I do, I really do want to know. What is Thanos' wish? But I'm not going to find out until I read Captain Marvel 31. Yeah, and I'm wondering, for somebody who, like, let's say, was like 14 years old or 15 at this time, and they had read Marvel for a couple of years now, since they were like 7 or 8. Mm-hmm. So maybe they, they would have read some, you know, either the originals or reprints of, like, Captain America versus Red Skull, the Cube, and all that. Right. You know, this is, like, a cool, like, this might have been, like, a really cool cliffhanger, like, Wait, I've seen the cube before. What do you mean they're not do? Wait, what do you mean this is a different way to use it? Exactly. I, I, I think like this, this is like the, one of those retcon type things of like, but not like a retcon like you know, no, he never was dead, but kind of like one of those retcons like, like we said before, Peter David the Hulk, like no, the Hulk was gray. 
true, but what I really like about yeah. this it's like, whole, it's like it's over there. What I like really like about this whole sequence is um I can almost hear Starlin in his head going, Cosmic Cube, Cosmic Cube. Oh, you have no idea how cosmic this cube is. I will show you cosmic. I love that. But anyway, and I will shove the cosmic at you, damn it. That wraps up the issue on a on a strong cliffhanger that really has me wanting to read the next issue. Although I am entertained by the fun house mirror looking Thanos on that last panel because it's his reflection in the cube. In the cube. I think that's great. That's fantastic. I wonder if Thanos is playing with that thing when like when his girl isn't looking. Is he like, because he's looking at the cube and holding it in his hand. And I wonder if like everyone, she's not looking. He's like, ooh, away, close, ooh. Weird face. But you're right to point out the, the, that particular image of his face distorted, his reflection, distorted reflection in the cube, because that is yet another example of what we were talking about a few minutes ago, the ways in which Starlin was clearly, deliberately trying to push the boundaries of the, the standards of comic book art to higher levels. Yes. So I gotta hand it to him. There. Yes, no, he deserves, like, Based on these issues, he deserves all praise. Yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to make sure that, that my nitpicks aside, he's still doing real strong work. Is, yeah, no, despite nitpicks, because there will be, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But That's he what we're is here still... For. If we didn't have nits to pick, we wouldn't be doing a podcast. Nope. But he is still making leaps and bounds in these issues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean... His work alone, just his basic art, basic artwork even, has improved gra- drastically since issue 25 and 26. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what Don McGregor was getting at in the introduction to the Black Panther Marvel Masterworks, is that there's always been a place in comic books for something a little more avant-garde, something a little more outside the norm. But this period of the early 70s, this time in comic book history, in the world, frankly, was definitely a time when taking risks was rewarded um, at, at places like Marvel. Like, clearly, Starlin is taking risks, and they're paying off. And I think that that would not always have been the case. No. But, yeah, so, no, they're definitely... Because, yeah, I mean, isn't this around the time period we also get Howard... Yes, this is exactly yeah. Uh, um, uh, Steve Gerber and Val Mayeric's uh, Man Thing and Adventure into Fear introduces Howard, and then he spins off into his own book, and etc. 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 And wackiness follows. <laughs> and wackiness and Beverly Switzer follow. Exactly. While attending a demonstration in radiology, student Peter Parker was bitten by a spider which had accidentally been exposed to radioactive rays. Through a miracle of science, Peter soon found that he had gained the arachnid's powers and had, in effect, become a human spider. Stan Lee presents... Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web, any size, catches seeds, just like flies. Look out, here comes the Spider-Man. Welcome to Amazing Spider-Man Classics, where every month I and some friends will be discussing every book, every guest appearance, and every cameo we can find of our favorite web slinger, the Amazing Spider-Man. Are you tired of arguing over whether Ben Riley should have taken over the webs? Do you grow weary of the brand new day with all of its controversy? Then return with us 
to the early days. Return with us to the classics. Amazing Spider-Man classics at AmazingSpiderMan.Libson.com This issue was published of a cover date of January 1974. Now these are the Marvel books that also had a publication date of January 1974 that either Adam Warlock or Thanos has appeared in before. The Avengers 119 by Steve Englehart, Bob Brown, and Don Heck. Night of the Collector. It's Halloween again, and that can only mean that the annual Halloween parade in Rutland is in full swing. This year, however, the Avengers may have met their match. Fantastic Four number 142 by Jerry Conway, Rich Buckler, and Joe Sinnott. No friend beside him. After the tragic events of recent days, the FF has split up, seemingly forever. As Ben tracks down Alicia, Reed, Sue, and Johnny search for answers to the questions that hound them. For a full look at this issue, go listen to the Fantasticast episode 168. The Incredible Hulk number 171 by Jerry Conway, Steve Englehart, Herb Trimp, and Jack Abel. Revenge. At long last, the Rosses and the Hulk have returned to their New Mexico home after months of adventures abroad. However, it quickly becomes apparent that something is amiss at the Hulkbuster base. Marvel Premiere number 13 by Steve Englehart, Frank Bruner, and Krusty Bunkers. Time Doom. Strange has tracked his nemesis, Baron Mordo, back through time to the era of Cagliostro. But will he be able to contend with both Mordo and the other? Or will the combined power be too much? Thor number 219 by Jerry Conway, John Buscema, and Mike Esposito. A Galaxy Consumed. The Black Stars. What is this pentad of omnicellar bodies? They who devour whole galaxies in an indomitable march across the heavens. The might of Thor surely pales before them, but still he fights to save a universe. Anyone out there really hoping that at some point in this episode I would be blatantly begging you for feedback? Guess what? Here it is. So, you can be super awesome and leave us a review on iTunes. It helps the show get noticed. You can also just send us an email at resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. Come visit our Tumblr page, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. I put up all the episodes, and I put images from the books we cover and other stupid things and all, all, all links, so just come check it out. You can also check out the similar stuff on our Facebook page. Just type in Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast in the little searchy box on Facebook, and you'll find it. And finally, you can follow us on Twitter. Yes, we actually have a Twitter feed for the show now. Just come follow us at Adam Thanos Pod. This show can now be found on Stitcher. In case you don't know what Stitcher is, Stitcher is Radio On Demand, a free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discovered from 20,000 others. Available on iOS, Android, Nook, and iPad. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at Stitcher.com or in the App Store. That was Captain Marvel 30, so we are almost there. I almost mean, where? To the end of that, to, to to the climax of the Thanos thing, we got three issues left of Captain Marvel. Oh yes, itself. yes, yes, yes. I yes. mean, we're gonna have several more episodes in this podcast because we had, but well, we had that Marvel feature. We have a few issues of the Daredevil, mm-hmm. and we also got an issue of Avengers. Mm-hmm. But for the main book, the main story, basically, it's three issues away. We're almost there.
cool. We're in the home stretch. And it's actually funny to think about it that the bad guy has basically won early in the beginning. He already had the cube for like three issues here. Yeah, that's true. He's won. It's basically everyone just kind of scrambling around going, okay, we got to kind of be ready to rebel basically because this guy's won. He's just not worried about crushing us yet. But yeah, he's won already. So the question on everyone's mind has been, well, now that the villain has won, what next? And I have to say they've been doing a pretty good job of both answering that and keeping us asking the question. So skilled there, too. Yes. All right. So looking forward to 31. Me, too. I want to see where this continues on. Uh, And I I am looking forward to it, too. As I said, this this cliffhanger definitely has me... uh, on the edge of my seats, metaphorically speaking. So I will, I will see you. I will be here for issue thirty-one with bells on. Woohoo! All right, and that's a wrap, people. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production. And no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise. And the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at pizzaproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. But that's another story for another podcast. Yes. Ooh, how is a duck? Hmm. Hmm. Anyway. anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs>